Hello, and welcome to the Low Tech Podcast. I'm Scott Johnson from the Low Technology Institute, your host for podcast number 33 on January 26, 2018, coming to you at the Low Tech Recording Room in Cooksville, Wisconsin. Thank you for joining us. Today we'll be playing everyone's favorite game, Is It Low Tech? We'll also have our weekly regular news roundup and institute updates. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at low underscore techno. Like us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, and check out our website, lowtechinstitute.org. There you can find both of our podcasts, as well as information about joining and supporting the Institute and its research. Today I want to talk about our definition of low tech. When I tell people that the Low Technology Institute has a podcast, they usually joke that it's an oxymoron or even hypocritical to have such a modern, technology-dependent thing as part of an institute that is dedicated to what they think of as the opposite of high-tech. And this is fair. The original name of the institute would have been the Slow Technology Institute, but this idea was already defined. Slow technology is limiting the excesses of technology in our lives, essentially recommending that we unplug more often. This was not exactly what I was aiming at when I started the Institute. What I really wanted was to champion the idea of the simplest means, or as some people call it, appropriate technology. So if we think about what a podcast is for a second, it's voice and other audio information being transmitted anywhere in the world for anyone to hear. I can't think of a simpler way of spreading the word about the Institute and our mission than a podcast. If we made a radio station, only people in the region could hear it. If we only talked to people in person, we'd interact with even fewer people. Therefore, in this case, a podcast is the simplest means to get across our content in an audio format. Now that's a general fuzzy sort of way of describing our idea of low tech. Let's put a finer point on it and talk about how we can compare various things and their level of simplicity and appropriateness to a future where fossil fuels are less abundant. Low tech does not mean rejecting everything out of the modern world. It's too simple to say that because our industrial way of life has many recognized drawbacks that the opposite, pre-industrial life, was all roses, any way of living has its downsides, especially when viewed from a way of life with which you've become comfortable. It'd be hard to convince a couch potato that a hunter-gatherer way of life should be his or her goal. The mission of the Institute is to find solutions to problems of sustainability when fossil fuels run out. Our tagline of housing, clothing, and feeding ourselves in a post-fossil fuel world sums it up, although clothing should really be expanded to producing tools and goods as well, but there's no verb for that. But I guess providing for ourselves comes close. We've made many inventions since industrialization began, and it would be silly to simply throw them all out. But instead of asking, could we use this new invention or technology, we should be looking at whether or not it is a real benefit to society. For example, while ready-made meals seem like a simple solution to dinner, they're in fact extremely complicated. From the concentrated feeding operations where meat is grown, to the plastic manufacturer to make the container, and all of the fuel expended growing, processing, transporting, cooking, and disposing of that dinner. We can't just look at what is the simplest means from our own perspective. It must look at the entire chain of production, use, and discard. So let's talk about the low-tech test, with the caveat that mathematical formulas and quantification of 
qualitative data is inherently biased by the person who sets up the variables. What I mean by that is we're going to be comparing things that don't have direct measures. They're not inches, they're not feet, they're not grams, they're not pounds. And so when you compare, you know, how red is this apple, you need to make categories into which to fit different shades of red, right? And by doing that, you're creating artificial categories. And if you get the categories wrong, well, then you're going to have bad data coming out. So with the caveat that I'm creating categories where none exist naturally, and so it may be biased, with that caveat out of the way, here's a test to help us compare different strategies to get along in the world without fossil fuels. And this is, again, just a, a way of starting a conversation. It's not a hard and fast rule or way to make your decisions. We're going to touch on manufacturing, durability, usefulness, and discard of different technologies. And to make this a real-world example, we're going to compare walking, bicycling, driving a car, and taking an airplane for traveling. This might be from point A to point B. Let's say they're 200 miles apart. We'll go through all the different categories and questions with bicycles first just to get a handle on it. Then we'll run through really quickly with walking, driving, and flying to see how they all stack up. So for each of the following categories and questions, We'll have a selection of answers. Each answer has a value. We add up the values of any technology, and the lower the score, the lower the technology, the more appropriate it is for a fossil fuel-free future. Say that five times fast. Starting out with manufacturing. The first question is, so is this technology, in this case bicycles, built by one point if it's just built by hand without tools, two points if it's built by hand with tools, like a hammer, a shovel, a scissors, four points if it's built by simple machines like a circular saw, electric drill, or six points if it's a complicated machine that builds it, like specialty tools with a single use, such as an engine hoist. Next, we ask about the materials. Are they, for one point, easily obtainable and renewable? For two points, difficult to obtain but still renewable? Four, easily obtainable but not renewable? And you get six points if it's difficult to obtain and it's not renewable. So a bicycle is made by hand. Uh, you can do it with simple machines, but to be fair, bicycles are usually made by complicated machines in factories or small shops. So that's six points. They're built with materials that are fairly easy to obtain, but they're not all renewable because they're metal. So we'll give it four points. They're easily obtainable, but they're not renewable. Now we turn to durability. How long is the use life of this technology? One point for used in perpetuity. So this would be a tool, for, for example, that you could pass on to your grandkids and you could expect that it would still have plenty of use life left in it. You get two points for used for a lifetime under normal conditions, four points for something that can be used at least a decade under normal conditions, six points for something that can only be used a few times before it's exhausted and has to be thrown away, or nine points if it's only able to be used once. So this would be like your plastic knives and forks or straws. They get a lot of points for durability and you don't want points, remember. Next question would be, what type of maintenance is needed to keep the technology functioning? One point for no maintenance, two points for occasional simple maintenance done by a non-specialist, so anybody can do it. Four points for occasional complex maintenance where you need a specialist, like a mechanic. Six for frequent simple maintenance done by a non-specialist because we really don't want to be doing a lot of time in maintenance. Or nine, frequent complex maintenance done by a specialist, which would be the worst of the worst. A bicycle, I would say, can be used for... Now, you could push it and use it for a lifetime. Bicycles can last that long. 
Um, most bicycles, uh, depending on the conditions, modern conditions with salt on the roads and things like that, you might get a decade out of them. But I'm going to say two points because you can use these uh, for a lifetime. I have a bicycle passed down to me from my father that is exactly as old as I am and it still runs just fine. Maintenance on bicycles is occasional and for the most part it's not complex. You might not know about it, but it's really not complex or difficult to do. Um, so I'm going to give it two points for occasional simple maintenance done by a non-specialist. All right, now let's go to usefulness. And what we're going to look at is uh, factors of efficiency. So by what factor of efficiency does this technology, in this case a bicycle, improve a function? So for example, how much faster could you bike between point A and point B? Or how much more weight could you push in a cart rather than carry over an equal distance? So you get one point for a factor of 10 or more. So a, a simple winnowing machine, for example, can separate seeds out more than 10 times faster than I can do it by hand. So that would be a factor of 10. It's 10 times faster or more efficient. Gets one point. Two points, a factor of five or more. For example, I'd say bicycling is about five times faster than walking. A factor of two or more, meaning it's twice as fast or twice as efficient. Or a factor of one or less, so this is when it's just as fast to do something manually. And then you get six points if you end up using a machine to do something you could do by hand in the same amount of time. As one of our goals is to create solutions for the post-fossil fuel world, a big part of the score comes from whether or not the technology can be used without fossil fuel inputs. So one point for no change necessary to use without fossil fuels. And you might think that bikes belong in this category. However, bikes have tires made of rubber. Bikes are transported and produced using a lot of electricity and things like that, which is generally made with fossil fuels. So we can't quite say bikes, unless you're making the bike yourself in your home out of things that you have around you and not using fossil fuels, it's not gonna be one point. We might see three points for a bike, minor modifications necessary to use without fossil fuel availability. We could certainly make bikes uh, without fossil fuels uh, if we reorganized our production chain to do that. Six points for major modifications necessary to use without fossil fuel availability, and 10 points if it's practically impossible to use without fossil fuel availability. So now let's turn to discard, because it's not just the production and the use of an item, but where does it go when it's no longer functional? Now we ask, what sort of waste does this technology generate? You get one point for organic waste that easily decomposes or inert organic waste, like stone. Two points if that waste breaks down eventually, or it's not quite inert organic waste, like say rust. You get four points for waste that only breaks down with energy or chemical inputs. If something has to be added to it to break it down, um, that's, that's not as ideal. Six points for waste that does not break down or is somewhat toxic. And 10 points for waste that is long lasting and or highly toxic. Longer it takes to break down, the more toxic it is to the environment, the more points it gets because that is something we, we're not looking for. So now we sum up the points. And the closer to a score of perfect seven a technology has, right? Everyone loves the perfect seven score. <laughs> the lower the technology is considered, and we want that, right? The maximum score is 56. So if we add up our bicycle scores, it was four points for simple machines, four points for easily obtainable non-renewable materials, two points for long-lasting uh, lifetime durability, two points for occasional simple maintenance done by a non-specialist, two points for a factor of five or more efficiency, three points for minor modifications necessary to use it without fossil fuels available, and we'll say two points for waste that breaks down eventually. Bicycles will rust, or they're made out of aluminum, which is fairly inert. And now we sum up the points. And we get 19. 
So not a perfect seven by any stretch, but it's certainly on the low end. So a bicycle is a fairly low technology. So let's run through the same thing looking at if you were to walk somewhere. Well, uh, there's really not anything to be done uh, to manufacture walking, right? So you get one point for manufacturing it by hand without tools. Sorry, I have to get a pen and paper. Write down where we're at. Bicycle, 19. You get materials that are easily obtainable and renewable. That's another point. Now let's look at durability. How long is the use life of walking? Well, people have been walking for 7 million years, so I would say that can be used in perpetuity. Although the individual might die, the idea can continue on. No maintenance is generally required, although we have to sometimes take care of our feet, so we'll add two points to that. Usefulness is where it does not do as well as, say, bicycling, uh, because a bicycle, remember, got two points for being a factor of five times more efficient, but walking is a factor of one. It's just as efficient as doing it by hand because you're doing it by foot. And so that is six points, which is where it gets most of its points. Fossil fuels are not required for walking. So it gets a point for no change necessary to use without fossil fuel availability. And discard is, again, another point because it's organic waste that easily decomposes. We are the organic waste in this point. So other than not being very efficient, uh, where it gets six points, it got one point on most everything else, plus a two points for the maintenance. So that comes out to a grand total of seven, eight, of 13. So even walking isn't a perfect seven uh, because it isn't as efficient as using tools. We have to tip our hat to the efficiency of using tools to some extent, right? So now let's blow this apart and look at cars and planes. Cars are built with complicated machines and so are planes. They both get six points for that. They're both built with materials, for the most part, aluminum, steel, fiberglass, rubber. Uh, so these are fairly easily obtainable materials, but most of them are non-renewable. So we'll give them each four points for that. We'll look at durability. How long is the use life of this technology? And I'd say between a lifetime, if you are really taking care of it, but for the most part, cars and planes get about a decade of use. So that's four points. What sort of maintenance is needed to keep the technology functioning? So I'm going to say airplanes need frequent complex maintenance done by a specialist because that is not a normal skill set that people have and it has to be done frequently so you don't fall out of the sky because you miss something. So that gets nine points. Whereas cars, I would say occasional complex maintenance done by a specialist, even though most of us can do some things on our car, uh, it's still complex maintenance and most of it has to be done by a specialist, let's be fair. Usefulness, uh, now I'm gonna say they're both getting one point, which is the top score for usefulness because their efficiency factor is very high. Regardless of everything else, a plane is a fast way to get somewhere as is a car. So they both get one point for that. But now when we turn to look at how they're able to be used without fossil fuels, we can say to, to some extent cars could be modified to run without fossil fuel availability, although it would be in limited capacity and they wouldn't be nearly as efficient. So let's give a car a six and let's give planes a 10 because planes were practically impossible to use without fossil fuels. I mean, there's just no way to get around that. Now when we go to discard, we're looking at the waste stream again. Much of the waste of a car or a plane is the body, which is either iron or aluminum, which is inert. Um, and would score two points, but uh, they also have a lot of other things that don't necessarily break down. And there are some toxic elements like the battery, oil, antifreeze, things like that. So I think we'll give them both a six. And now we'll sum up those points. So that brings us to 31 points for cars 
and 40 points for planes. Remember bicycling was 19 and walking was 13. So these are considerably higher tech, which is not really what we're looking for. They lose a lot of points on manufacturing, use and discard, as well as not being applicable without fossil fuels. The only way that planes and cars really do well is in their efficiency and that they are able to move us and lots of stuff very far, very fast, but that's about it. This is just one way to look at what is an appropriate technology, but it's just a yardstick. Perhaps you aren't able to walk for long distances, for example, or maybe you can't ride a bike, and this would change your calculations. If we go back to our idea of a podcast and a website being considered low tech, remember that we're trying to get the word out to as many people as possible. So while this online presence isn't what one might expect of the Low Technology Institute, it's still the most efficient way to reach a large number of people. If we go back to our low-tech test and we want to look at websites and podcasts, you know, obviously they lose a lot of points for complex manufacturing by machine. And a lot of the items we use that are technological in nature, like laptops and smartphones, are made of materials that are difficult to obtain and non-renewable, like lithium-ion batteries and things like that. The use life isn't great, although we could reform that, which would be a, a great step forward. So, you know, even if you were careful with your things, using them a decade would be pretty lucky. Usually the maintenance on technological things, web servers and such, is occasional, but it's complex and done by a specialist, so that's not too bad. The usefulness is where they really shine because they're gonna get very low points because they have a high efficiency factor. It's much more efficient for me to sit here in our recording room and talk to you rather than me having to go to you individually and have a conversation with you, as lovely as that would be. Pretty major modifications would be needed to do a podcast without fossil fuels. We would need to completely revamp our communication infrastructure, but it would be possible. And it does generate waste that, for the most part, much of it is plastic, metal, and all kinds of chemicals and silicon. So it doesn't necessarily break down, although a lot of it is quite inert, except for the batteries and a few other things uh, that have to be recycled carefully. Podcasts, it's the middle of the road. It's not a perfect score by any means. It's far better than having to manually stop by each person's house that's listening to this and, and talk to them for a half hour. There's a lot more efficiency spreading our, the word this way. So you can use this rubric, and I'll link to a blog post that has this rubric written out on it on the podcast webpage. So check that out. And you can think about different things in your own life. Uh, run them through the rubric. Tell me if you agree or disagree. And maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode. Thanks for playing Is It Low Tech? And now let's turn to this week in low tech news. We've got a lot of stories this week, starting with NPR, which had two stories on permafrost. As things get warmer around the world, temperatures change more quickly in the higher latitudes, meaning it's warmer where the permafrost is. This frozen ground requires more time below freezing than above to keep it frozen. But this is changing, and large swaths of permafrost are melting. So what, you say? Well, permafrost traps large amounts of decaying matter and methane. And when it melts, this potent greenhouse gas is emitted, leading to, you guessed it, higher temperatures. According to the story, on NPR, permafrost holds twice as much carbon as the Earth's atmosphere right now. And once thawed, the ancient carbon is metabolized by bacteria and escapes into the atmosphere. We don't know how fast this process will happen globally, so it is one of the wild cards of climate change. We only know that it really adds to the problem. The question is, how much is it going to add? In another story by NPR, they discussed how viruses frozen in permafrost are not able to be revived, so we don't have to worry about the ancient superbugs coming back to get us, even though this would make a really great disaster film. So that's something. And just on the heels of the mudslide in California, 
After wildfires stripped away the plants holding the slopes together, we have a story from the New York Times about how glaciers are collapsing and avalanching at a record pace. Two other articles go hand in hand. The Low Tech Magazine, which is not affiliated with the Institute, but still has a lot of great articles, has a well-reasoned discussion about how much energy we really need, arguing that if we truly assess our needs and wants and look for sufficiency instead of decadence, we could drastically cut our energy use to something easily powered by renewables. The Conversation blog had an article arguing against automation for everything in life. Even if some automated things are more convenient and even more efficient, there's lots to be said for doing things manually. Unfortunately, both of these arguments would require a reordering of society. As fossil fuels run out, we're looking at that possibility but to adapt proactively, we need to take steps now. We also had a whole slew of articles on how hot it was last year, as well as new models showing where precipitation will dry up and increase over the next century. The Desmog blog, which has a great name, had a story about NASA finding out that much of the recent methane spike is due to coal and natural gas use. Even though natural gas burns cleaner, its extraction releases a lot of methane into the atmosphere, which is a pretty potent greenhouse gas. Those are some of the stories we're following in low-tech news. To see links to the stories we discussed, send us a news tip and more. Visit the low-tech website, lowtechinstitute.org, or follow the link in our podcast profile. And now for a brief recap of the research we have going on around the Institute. Tool library work is underway, and we hope to have a video put together soon for a crowdfunding campaign. Please stay tuned for that. Thanks to those of you who have already contributed both tools and money. See the website under the Libraries tab for more information about the Low-Tech Tool Library. We also will be announcing a new series of workshops for the year. Our theme is shifted to Homesteading 101, which helps us keep our workshops along the lines of the missions of the Institute, as we're hoping to help individuals, households, and communities adapt to a post-fossil fuel world. The skills learned by homesteaders, who are often by need and design self-sufficient and low-carbon, are a good place to start. So check out our workshops page for upcoming workshops that you can attend if you're in the Madison area. That's it for this week. The Low Tech Podcast is put out by the Low Technology Institute. At the moment, the show is hosted, edited, and distributed by me, Scott Johnson. This episode was recorded at the Low Technology Recording Room. Our music was intro for a non-existing video game off the album Laughing Turkeys by Captive Portal. That song and this podcast are under the Creative Commons Attribution and Sharealike License, meaning you're free to use and share them as long as you give us credit. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. And if you enjoy this free podcast, please help repay us by sharing it with a friend. The Low Technology Institute is a 501c3 research organization supported by members, grants, and underwriting. You can find out more information about the Low Technology Institute, membership, and underwriting at lowtechinstitute.org under the About Us Support tab. Find us on social media and reach me directly at scott at lowtechinstitute.org. Thanks and take care.